Well, I'm here in Brussels now, and uh, I've walked around. You could call it a block, but I've walked around the neighborhood a few times outside of my uh, my Renaissance Hotel here. Like, well, I I think well, we're in the neighborhood where the EU buildings are, which is kind of like, a, oh look, there's the EU, uh, which is kind of an astonishing thing to uh, to realize. But it's the time of year where like all of the little restaurants and cafes, like there's outside seating. And uh, when I went out for lunch around eleven thirty. Uh, there weren't that many people out. It seemed kind of like a ghost town. And I, I went to a lovely little Mediterranean place. But then when I walked around the block, so to speak, just uh, before this episode, the, the the sidewalks were crowded. There was with people like there was this one area and it was just chock full of it must have been 150, 200 people just having their their Belgian beers and their wines, little little burgers and snacks. And it seemed so nice. And like, you know, the whole time I was thinking like, Oh, that would be great to hang out. But like, you know, I got to go like give a keynote tomorrow morning. I, I can't I can't just like drink a bunch of how do you say it? Left beer and wine. Like it, it's just it's just it seems like it takes a lot of effort to to get out there in the streets and relax. Like you, you really got to like plan for it. And well, what's uh, the story about buses? Is it like kind of does it have like a, a Spain kind of like late late start, like kind of late lunches, maybe late dinners, or was it just like where you just did you just hit the? I uh, just missed the window. I I don't know. I I walked around at like nine fifteen, and I'll tell you one thing: the Lidl was closed. I I went up to the Lidl, the grocery store, expecting mm-hmm. to. I just oh, wow. like I I want to buy some some uh, some fruit or something. It was closed. I, what grocery store closes at like nine? I thought all the European but, ones did. I don't know. This is where I guess I get confused. I, like, whenever yeah. I'm in Europe, things are always closed and open at like the times I don't expect. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's American uh, perspective. It's it's not that crazy to be closed at nine, but like in the city, like in a city, it should be <clears> open by at least by until ten. Nah, I think that's when I, my little grocery store is open. No, nah, everything in Australia closes early. Like, uh, I mean, a lot of cafes, you know, they don't serve dinner. And then a lot of the grocery stores, they might close by like seven or eight, wow. maybe nine. I don't know. There's, there's one that I know of that stays open until 10. Uh-huh. I, love, I guess we're just so spoiled here in the U S I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. The U S like you they, can they want you anywhere. to spend money anytime. Yeah. And there's like so many places are open either 24 hours or the grocery store. I don't know. HEB is like, Oh yeah, we're closing tonight at like midnight and they're closed for like two hours. It's like, yeah, we're closed from midnight to 4am. Like, okay. I guess I'll uh, I'll sacrifice those shopping hours. So. Yeah, no. Yeah, I wonder why that is. That that would be a good sociological study. Like you know, New York had this reputation of the city that never sleeps, and then New Orleans like is open all the time. But like, comparative to the rest of the world, like most all of America is open a lot. Like yeah, you go to Walmart oh, twenty four yeah. hours a day, buy some like Velcro or something, like. <laughs> But but in, in Europe you'd be hard pressed to find like a twenty four hour place like like I I wanted to uh, I wanted to buy a separate little little tripod stand and I was thinking like I can't really just like look up a Best Buy like I wonder where you uh, well you know, just find yeah. a place here the the thing that bothers my wife is there are no twenty four hour pharmacies including oh. including the pharmacy in the hospital yeah yeah that that I mean, is so kind there, of there's one like you know there is one over in like north sydney but that's 30 minute drive and like how are there no 24-hour pharmacies that's yeah just well you know thing. that's I, I think interesting I, question though like i feel like even here in the u.s right the pharmacy inside most stores like it has its separate hours i've always wondered that like why that, that's fine, one but area I mean, but, like, know, why as does a pharmacy get to carve itself out they're like nope we're done at nine. Everybody else is oh, like, no, we're done I'll, at like eight. I'll tell you why. Because they have huh. expensive employees. The pharmacist uh, was just like, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know? I mean, they, they have expensive employees. And so, like, you know, if, if your margins are relatively tight and you have somebody who you can't, you know, pay minimum wage, a pharmacist. Don't, the margins, uh, don't you think the margins on the pharmacy stuff is like the highest in the place? You're like, why wouldn't we just keep a pharmacist? I don't It just seems like you would, right? Like, I don't know. The prices are usually better than pharmacies. So yeah, that's true. I don't know. Yeah, well, the pharmacists, yeah. I guess, good for the pharmacists. I'm glad that they rallied to keep yeah, good power to the this. people. I, I think. I think as I've covered here, maybe to to end cap our note on pharmacies is in the <laughs> Netherlands, like the the what we would call drug stores, like they seem to close at like six or five, right? And as you were kind of alluding to, Matt, I think, I think as as a as a parent, your situation is like, yeah, but it's like 11 p.m. and I need like 
some medicine for yeah. this kid, right? Or, and stuff or, or, you know, just, just like the 50 pairs of scissors we have at my house, I now can't find one of the thermometers we have, right? Like, exactly. Because, because it looked like an intriguing way to uh, attach a piece of paper to a cork board somewhere, or, you know, something. <laughs> and like, so you, you know, I, I think a 24 hour drugstore or pharmacy like that, that feels like a real backbone of society right there that, that, that needs to be uh, available. Not here. But I guess as they're renowned for, the Australians just all plan ahead. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Definitely. (laughs) Well, speaking of planning ahead, now, as we've covered many times, uh, what public companies like to do is provide guidance about uh, what trends they're seeing and and how things are going in the future. And now it looks like, I, I have to admit, I'm not a big reader of guidance, but it looks like maybe uh, there's some indication that companies are not putting all of their data into the big data pool of Snowflake. And they're trying to, what, what's the, the phrasing we're using now, Matt Ray? They're trying to optimize their spend <laughs> uh, by, by maybe removing some data instead of like, you know, I, I, think, I think what went over in a Snowflake call is that instead of storing five years of data, they're going to store three years. And then this, this one, I guess you have less storage costs. And then two, uh, less computational costs. So maybe they're trying to cut back on costs. Well, remember and- that this is the perverse incentive of uh, uh, for Snowflake because it's a consumption-based model. So when you have less data, your queries run faster. So people then pay less, right? So that's how yeah. Snowflake is going to charge you based on how often you're querying that data. So that's yeah, sort of looked, looked at their bills and said, you know, why, why is it this expensive? How do I make it cheaper? And that's how. Yeah, which I think it just in general is, is like... Um, and this is what I thought what was interesting about Snowflake. I guess we famously, uh, and when I say famous, I mean not famous at all. We just mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, I think we were, I think we gave Snowflake, we were down on the IPO. And of course, since then, it's done extremely well, then it's done extremely bad. So who knows? I don't even know if it's up or down. But I think it's interesting to see that um, as being a bellwether in a company that most people think is, um, if you will, quote unquote, has like world-class operators, the former CEOs are you know, very well respected that this whole idea of like consumption-based pricing is sort of like, that is interesting, I think to itself. But I also think it just brings up this larger question around, you know, big, you know, big data just in general. And this idea that like, and I don't, I, this is where I, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about is around, you know, my perception is always like the enterprise data products, not just Snowflake, all of them. It's very hard to get data out of them as like an employee at a company, right? So my my kind of usage of it is always like I'm always, if you will, sort of uh, have to go to a different group to then ask for something that I want. Um, and then normally it's a lot of back and forth and they don't really make it easy for me to get it. Or if they do, like, I'll just say something like, this is kind of the running joke I know we've had on this podcast many times, like export to CSV. Can you just give me an export of all the customers between this date and this date or, you know, uh, this and this? Because like someone's asking me to do some analysis or I'm trying to look at some analysis of my product, but they, that, that big data interface either doesn't have it, it's not available to me, or I can't get a license to actually get it. So I always think it's like interesting. All of, And I know Microsoft Fabric was announced last week. And I, you know, we keep seeing over and over these uh, launching of new big data platforms. But I feel like when you're actually in a large enterprise, it's like the last thing you want to have to do is to try to go get it from the big data uh, service because no one's going to give it to you. Now, I don't know if maybe that's just been my experience. I don't know, Kote, I, I think you've messed around a lot with Salesforce and tried sure. to find analytics. Have you, have you had a similar problem getting data or, or what's I- going on with you? I, I think I think at all of the large and all the companies I've worked at over the years, I think you're correct. And and to 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 break it down further, like yeah, like you somehow. So if you're just going to go ask people to like, as they say, pull data, then that's just you might as well just like you know, fold up your body into a small enough like tube that you can fit into a bottle, throw it in the ocean, and see if you get your data back at some point. Like it just like it's not going to happen, and you know the the it'll happen sometimes, but but the issue often comes down to explaining what you want, and and like you know like it, prompt engineering, yeah, like 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 if I were to say like yeah, you know, can you give me like all of the lead activity that happened globally for all of the pharmaceutical companies that we are interested in. 
Like, and, and if you were to like throw that at one of these data people, they would just be like, what? Like, like <laughs> just sort of like, you know, oftentimes, and again, not always, but, and, and, you know, when you meet someone who's not like this, it's, it's, it's always great, but you'll be asking for data from people. And it's just almost like they don't even really understand what you're asking because you don't know how to ask it appropriately. And that's why you just want the CSV file to just like, because oftentimes this is that my issue is like, I don't really know what I want. I just want access to everything and I'll figure it out. And then the second problem that, that I end up having with like, let's say the, the enterprise data thing is like, once you do get access to it, you're just like, who, who organized this? Right. Like what is all of this setup? And like, we have all these duplicative like data fields and things. And like, what does it all mean? Like, and there's no, like, it's like trying to, it's like inheriting a code base that's not documented and you just kind of go in there and you're supposed to like figure it out. Like there's no, uh, there's no documentation of what this data model uh, looked like. And, uh, and then depending on, I've never used Snowflake, but you know, you use Salesforce and it's just like, Salesforce is just so weird, right? Like, I like and, well, and the, every 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 Salesforce <laughs> is a snowflake. I mean, because yeah, like yeah. everybody is using it in completely different ways. And you know, there was somebody who's like, "This is how we're going to organize our data." And, totally. And like, I know, I, I a few companies back, we had a, a Salesforce engineer, and she, you know, she said like. Every single one of them is just like a, a murder mystery where, you know, it's totally. S- totally set up differently because somebody had a mental model in their head and then it gets piled on as, you know, layers after layers of different VPs of sales come through with their different models that they want. And you end up with this big ball of, you know, horrid stuff. Well, not horrid, but I mean, the data's in there somewhere. Just, so and there's definitely, the- there's definitely that, but there's even like just the software itself. Like, so... I, I mess around with building reports in Salesforce. And so if you want to set the date range to like the last seven days. Yeah. Now, in this modern age, you think you would sort of like select something, right? Like there would be some interface. But no, what you do is in all caps, you type in last seven days. Oh, now, yeah. on I the face of it, <laughs> on, on the face of it, that seems really nice that you just can like type the stuff in. But then what you have to do is you have to search around for the documentation. And this is an example of like, it's hard to ask for everything, right? Like, so what I want to find is it's kind of like if you ever try to figure out like Apple shortcuts, have you ever looked up documentation for Apple shortcuts? You might've tried to, but it doesn't (laughs) exist. And so it's like, I want it when I'm building a report in Salesforce, I want to be like, okay, as far as date range, I want to know every single thing I can put in there. And and instead you go to the page and it's like, or you can use relative dates like last seven days, last quarter. And so Which you kind of like for a report, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, you just sort of type stuff in there and see what works. And so one would one would think uh, that given the, the context that you just went over there, uh, uh, Matt, that you've got this that part that you've got this like layer upon layer of, of data models and reports and stuff that like part of what what the the product people at Salesforce would be doing is to is to like accept that reality and be like all right what could we do to address that for for some people like how like maybe maybe it would be possible that if you hover over a field name it would pop up a description of it like like you know like all like now if people would do that or not who knows but it's sort of like what is like the the clean way of of doing Salesforce stuff. And that's just Salesforce stuff. Like also in comparison, and and then maybe this will get to my, my general theory of this stuff. But like, if you, if you've ever tried to use Google analytics uh, and you use it in a way that like, I don't know, however it is, I think about using Google analytics, it's obviously not designed for that at all. Right. Like it's, it's Google analytics is designed to, to think about traffic in aggregate, not about like, tell me how many people went to this specific page and where they came from, right? Like you can get that report, but it's not like right there front and center. And so I think, I think my theory would be that a lot of the, the big data stuff out there is that like the people who make it like don't really use it for like all these, <laughs> these different scenarios. And so therefore like, you know, 
you you probably need to do a lot of like user studies to make sure that like what you're doing kind of fits the way that people want to use it. And then finally, like, yeah, I mean, the ultimate problem that you started off with, Brian, uh, Brian, who the hell is Brian? Oh, that other guy, <laughs> Brandon, is uh, is uh, like the vendor has to make money. And yeah. I don't think a vendor has figured out how to have like easy access be part of the benefit for it. Like in contrast, this isn't exactly well, that's true. probably where they started, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah. with, with, with most late term enterprise software, you know, the Salesforce is at the point where every product feature that's been requested has probably been checked off at this point. Right. Mm. Well, but, and, hold on. while we're there, like I, I've got some I want to add to the list because I think like this is what I observe as both uh, just a more of the consumer side is like one, it's very hard for me to get the access to the stuff that I want. And then the by far the most common reporting I've seen in my career across many large companies is someone takes a screenshot of a report and puts it into PowerPoint or some of them, and then they'll put some, some notes on it, right? That is by far and away the most common reporting thing that you see in meetings. Like, come at me if I'm wrong. Like, no one's just like, oh, let's just whip up. Uh, let's just look at the dashboard. Like, it's never, I, it's so <laughs> rarely happened. It's always like an exec, somebody wants to see exactly what it is, and whether it's a QBR, an MBR, internal planning, whatever, right? Like there was this whole group of people that put it together in a PowerPoint because the systems are not either, there's not access to it or it doesn't produce it in a way that's easy to see. And so that's like, to me, that's sort of like problem one. If you just were a Salesforce user researcher, you could just go watch and see this happened every day at millions of companies around the world. And then what you guys were getting at before was, you know, I'll accept that like every company is different. Every company is going to want to model, model, model how they record customers, what the customers bought uh, their own way, their own sales process. So I'll accept that. That's just the way it is. That's not going to change it. But in my, in my mind, what should be possible is for me to just go to my company's Salesforce, right? As an unlicensed person, right? Just give me just, uh, if you will, um, some basic access and let me to what you were saying before, Kotek, let me browse the data that's just available. Like what tables do we have created? Like, is there a table yeah. of customers? Great. Did we record what uh, industry they're in? Yes or no? I mean, maybe you did, maybe they didn't. Maybe it's in a different table, right? Did we record what they actually bought? Did we record anything about what led them to becoming a customer? Like, I'm just simply asking, like, just let me see what you have, right? I don't need, and, and you can tell me that's all we have and that's great. But if I have a way to then do it, because what I've found that I become better educated if eventually someone does give me an export and they're just sort of get annoyed with me and they're like, here, Here's all the stuff, right? And they give you some weird CSV and it will take a while. And, but if you kind of get good at like a tiny bit of Python or a tiny bit of Excel, you can clean up the data yourself and then you will go in and almost kind of like teach yourself about the columns. You're like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, what does that mean? Right. And then eventually you get enough knowledge that you can kind of, if you will, if you kind of create these backhanded, usually in Excel, right, is what people do. Uh, and then you cut and paste those into your decks and then you can start to show your own stuff. And it's like, I get it. So maybe, you know, getting to the point that like there'd be a, a Salesforce UI that made it all easy. I, I almost feel like that's too far, too much to ask. But I just think like these, all these big data things, like let me browse the tables and schema and anybody in the company should be able to do it because we're all trying to figure out like what's going on and how to help customers and how to do it. But instead, what I find is it's all hidden away. Like you don't even know. And, well, and they're, they're also charging by the seat. So, right. And they don't want know. to get access to it. Go ahead. Right. Man. Well, no, no, no. That, that's my point is that, you know, they're charging by the seat. So you as the casual user, uh, somebody in, in finance is, is looking at like, how much are we paying for Brandon to look at this thing every other month? You know, they're like, can't he just ask somebody? And so that's that's another perverse incentive, right? So, I mean, they're they're trying to keep you, you know, because they've introduced this barrier, someone periodically was like, uh, we got too many Salesforce seats. Yeah, and what happens then, and, and again, like as someone that's asked for this, it's like there's eventually be some back channel where someone, you eventually get to a Salesport, uh, Salesforce admin or someone, and you're just like, and the, what they'll do is they'll just dump everything out into CSV once a week in this one area <laughs> and then you can start to go off that right and again like i don't think i'm breaking any news i think this happened and i i don't know like and i feel the same thing with i i, I don't want to pick on salesforce because i think this is my whole point about uh 
all of them, just the collective enterprise data. It's like, if it's so great and we're all putting all this data in there, why can I never see the schemas? Why can I never get access to it? And then of course, like, and this is where that everyone ends up doing these crazy Excel things. And that, you know, I was looking online is like, it's amazing what Excel now does. And in Google Sheets too, we should throw that in. For example, Google Sheets, you can write SQL. You can literally write SQL in it, right? Mm. Excel, I've seen some of the, I'm sure I am one of millions of people. Like I've seen some gurus in Excel that have done some stuff that it's like amazing, right? You're like, I don't know. There's like a JDBC driver into this system that pulls data into this and it does. And it's just like, it becomes this weird reporting thing. And it's like, it's great that people can do all of that, but it's sort of like, it's not what we really want. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's like, show me what data you have, make it easy for me to get access to it or give me some tools. And if it's Excel or something else, right. Or Python or, you know, whatever, that's fine. But like, you know, again, it's kind of this repeated promise of quote, big data. And this is something that I know I, we hit on with the interview. Uh, I think a few weeks ago with uh, Jordan over at, uh, you know, he was talking about DuckDB and things like that. This idea that like, big data is everywhere. It's like, really, actually, it's small data, right? When I think about like, and I, I'd be interested in what you guys think. It's like, I really, you know, like, I don't know, maybe the company has 10,000 customers, maybe it has 20,000, but this is trivial, that trivial amount of data to like put on a laptop and like do stuff with. So this idea that like people keep shoving stuff in these big data stores, hiding it away and making it very difficult to get to. Meanwhile, what everyone's trying to do is export it into some CSV, do some Python and some Excel, and it's just like, yeah, it just feels like it's all wrong to me. And so this is why I guess maybe, you know, the take on Snowflake and all these companies going forward is just like, I don't know, like, I guess someone's getting a lot of value out of them. But man, it sure seems like it doesn't penetrate the rank and file employees. Yeah, there's not enough seats to go around. You got you got to, you, gotta, uh, you know, it, and it, it uh, uh, well, being able to use uh, SQL in a database in, in a spreadsheet would be fantastic because then, then you wouldn't have to figure out all these weird uh vs lookup things and and strange uh scripting that that would be uh well definitely i'll put a link in here to the one the example uh for google sheets and i also wanted to like you know there's this uh company that we didn't really talk about i think it's called neptine um and what they have done is they basically taken python and put it inside a a spreadsheet looking thing and so to your point like oh like that way you don't like because just what you're saying cote it's like you can do all this like v lookup match you know and things like that and it's like it's incredible when people do it in Excel and you're like, or we could just like take a tiny bit of programming and this would be like a million times easier. So that's kind of like where these tools could go. It's just like, fine. If you're not going to give me access to this tool, like give me a tool or like, you know, and this is where Excel I think just continues to grow. It's just like, but could we get out of like, everything has to be inside a cell. You know what I mean? Could we like abstract a little bit of programming somewhere else that's very accessible to everyone else so that when we just want to like, replace a few characters in a column, it's not like you have this crazy looking cell formula that no one understands. So okay. I don't know. All of that needs to be fixed, in my opinion. And, you know, I think, I think maybe, maybe a, a good use for this crazy AI, AI stuff that's going around, right? Like, it'd be fun to like give it access to your wacky like Salesforce, your big data thing. And like the first thing I would want, not the first thing, but like in this conversation, I would want to ask it. I would want to say like, just to like, give me a normal view, like like whatever industry standard like normal view of this stuff is. Never mind all the specialization, like because that that's the other thing with like a bunch of specialized, especially like like sales data stuff is like. So, have you invented a new way to sell things to people? Probably not. Like you probably always <laughs> like all all of the reporting. Like you know, it's one of the twenty different ways that you would think about like selling stuff to people. So really you don't really need a customized thing. Like just, here's just like the normal way you would track stuff. And undoubtedly, you know, somebody is either pitching a Salesforce plugin, you know, based on AI or, you know, they've already pitched it and raised funding for a Salesforce competitor to do that. Right. I mean, well, before we get to that, I just want to throw out one thing before someone, and I'm all in favor of the, I think, but like, you know, I think Matt, you said it before. It's like, Look at the licensing at Salesforce. It's licensed by seat. So it's usually hard to get a seat. People say they don't want it. And then who has the seats? All the salespeople. Generally speaking, the salespeople are your highest, one of your highest sets, highest paid sets of employees, right? And then what you are, what you want is when someone actually updates Salesforce, they put in all the information about the client opportunity, what's going on, and they make sure it's meticulously accurate because it's going to serve as the basis 
of, if you will, what the company knows about the customers going forward. And I can say unequivocally, salespeople will not do any of that. They absolutely will not do any of that. So what you end up seeing is then later on, you'll see a Salesforce record and you personally may know information about the client. You'd be like, oh, that's actually wrong. Like I actually know something, right? And there'll be tons of people in the company that also know things about it, but they won't have a license, right, to get it. So back to like, you know, all of these systems, it's like, what if you had like a a mindset of like uh, Wikipedia or whatever? It's like, I want everyone to be able to update information about the customer and just annotate it, right? Like Brandon said this, Brandon said that. Because I do this all the time. I'll get off and I've, of course... I'm talking to a customer in a specific area and I'll get a lot of information about one area and it's just like lost in email, right? But it would be great if I could be like, you know what? I'm going to want to remember this and let me go at, annotate it in Salesforce mm-hmm. and everyone can see it. And then later, Matt, we may bring in you and you may be a different product line or have a different interaction. And it's like, yeah, Matt, you're going to rem- want to remember that. And we all cool. start updating that. But it's like Salesforce is all about, no, no, stay away from it. We're not going to give you access to it. We're not going to like let you update anything like that. So it's like, yeah, the AI system, fantastic. Love it, right? Before we get to that, though, it's like, what if we just let everyone update it and think of the mindset of like, by default, we're open. We want to collect more information. And then we add, Matt, your, your AI system that you were describing. We, before. we, we should, uh, I, don't, I don't know when they have their conference Dreamforce, but I think we need to have a panel there. <laughs> and and and, and it, it, we we need to pitch like a panel that's sort of like you know well, the uh, the 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 what if right like you know here, here's 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 the title for the panel is um salesforce what salesforce uh, should do from three guys who don't have seats yeah that's right. <laughs> beyond per seat licensing that's that's you know it can be the the strap line for. Well, it. I do. I mean, maybe just say like, kind of as we kind of wind down this topic. I think the one place for all of these are going, whether it's Snowflake or Salesforce, is that you know, kind of to what uh, Matt Matt's saying, uh, telling us all now, we need to optimize our spend, right? And I think these companies and the SaaS multiples are feeling a lot of contraction, right? And people are looking for ways not to use the SaaS systems as much. And I think this idea, this, you know, if you will, gatekeeping mindset, right, through licensing, I think is really limiting a lot of these. Um, companies going forward. And that's what, you know, kind of like Snowflake, it would be interesting, you know, five or 10 years. It's just like, I don't know, like, if you adopt a more open mindset now, is that going to lead to much more growth, if you will, versus like, hey, just as more and more data it gets exported out of Snowflake, now they're going to go from five years of data to three years of data to maybe just one year of data, right? And that well, will, and, you know, yeah, three years of data. And only five users. And so, you know, as you start to, you know, drop the number of people touching it, then you start, it starts to, fewer people depend on it day to day and fewer people are going to fight to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's just creating champions. Like, you know, right now, I guess I, I would say I'm the opposite of all these systems because like, they just keep me out. They don't like me. It's like trying to get into an exclusive club. It's like they never, no one ever lets me into the data uh, club or the Salesforce club. And I'm just, I'm always just kind of bitter about it. So it's like, I don't like these systems. I'm always like, Hey, what else can we use? So it'd be great though. If I walked into every place, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to browse all the Salesforce data so I can figure out What's going on with the things I'm responsible for? But I never think that. I always think to myself, so like, who do I got to find to give me that, that export to CSV? I know the name of the panel should be, why can't I use Salesforce? <laughs> <laughs> it would be good. Or all of them together. I'm happy to complain about all of them, whether it's Snowflake, Salesforce, Microsoft Fabric. I don't know. That would be probably great. a million systems on the financial system, which I know, I know I'll never get access to that one. That one, there's just oh, like, yeah. no, you there, you there's, you know, that, right? governance or regulation or something. And he's just like, I don't have time for that. Middle management is all about like, hey, your goals are to make more money. Uh, we're never going to tell you how you're doing till the end of the year. And then we're just going to be mad that you didn't do it. Like that is always, that's always the way it is. You didn't like, you weren't look, looking at this number. You didn't know exactly what was going on. I can't believe it. I can't believe you didn't do it better. But anyway, that's a rant from another day. Well, just as, as a slight tech update before our next topic, it looks like we talked at length, uh, I think about new relic last episode. It looks like uh, they're not going to be acquired. Uh, Francisco partners and, and TPG, I forget what TPG stands for. But I think the quote was, they failed to secure enough debt financing and could not meet the business software company's valuation expe- expectations, comma, people familiar with the matter said. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I like to comment on this. I think say that, I, which is like people from TPG, like, which yeah, is literally, and, <laughs> which and is then, literally and then, people that were trying to do the deal. And then at some point also in the article, it says, you know, uh, 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 the source did not want to use their name because they wanted to remain confidential. It's like, yes, thank you. I know how journalism works. Good. 
Th- thanks for including this is a good marker though it's a fun one for us to watch because it's like i don't know i think of it more like new relic got a reprieve so we can almost say okay may 31st 2023 yeah, there's blood in the water right in five years like either well one of two ways it's like one like hey they got the pass and they're going to go on and like they're going to put in place the strategic roadmap to like beat data dog and it's going to work and they're going to be worth 30 billion dollars and they're going to be geniuses for not taking the money or they slowly don't make progress and the revenue goes down and they get a lower multiple the next time TPG or Vista or somebody shows up. So I don't know. Make your bets now, whatever you believe in New Relic. And so so then back out of the tech world into the exciting world of white collar office work. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to apologize. I, I don't I don't either never learned or, or don't remember how to pronounce her last name. But Erica, who was at GitHub for a while and sure. uh, she 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 worked at Bitnami at some yep. point, right? Yes, Wasn't yeah, she like a the CEO time. there? Yeah, yeah. 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 It so off. so yeah. she she shared a uh, uh like a weekly status memo format uh that they used, which you know it's uh uh I it, it basically we'll put a link to it. It has like things that you did from it's very engineer driven, like thing things that you shipped or output that you've had, like uh how your OKRs have done, like what's up with uh your people, your your talent, like uh, any sort of like uh, meeting topics that are coming up, like events that you're having. And then like uh, basically sharing, like, uh, as it says, story time, like an event that happened. And then uh, the asks that you would have, which is a very like scrummy sort of thing to, to like, you know, ask something at the end. I don't know. Scrum is very like 2003. So who knows how it's evolved. <laughs> but but, you know, the idea is that, of course, being an engineering uh, type of company, you kind of automate that. I think I think what she was saying that there's like, you uh, you can actually just type in somewhere, uh, you know, the snippets command to get it popped. Right, and they were using GitHub, right? So basically, yes. they open a, a pull request, and then everybody is given a set of prompts, and then they uh, they enter the information, and then they can, uh, if you will, submit it to GitHub. So the one thing I thought was interesting about it is like, they did use GitHub because they are GitHub and they're using GitHub, which is always interesting to see and a good idea for companies to use your own products. So so that part was interesting. But go on, Kote. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, and, and then and then, you know, I think I think the the point of that is that it's in theory quick to do and you can uh, not only bubble up, but you can bubble in all directions. Like I assume this is hopefully a uh, uh, the opposite of what we were just discussing is now you have like more access to all this stuff. You can probably read as many status updates as you have time to read and <laughs> uh, and, and wade through and sort through. And and the 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 point being that, like, uh, you know, not only is it good to share information, but uh, it also hopefully precludes a lot of like just status meetings where, where you go over this stuff, which I think, you know, that's always the dream, right? This meeting could have just been an email or, you know, and then furthermore, this email could have just not existed is, is email could have been a PR like, like what's <laughs> nice. And, and so, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've encountered such things and, and it sounds like it worked out for them, but if we were to generalize it, like what? What's what's y'all's take on the automated? Like, uh, let's replace the status meeting with a standardized, like, uh, status report that that people can uh, can have in you. Well, my whole, I guess, a couple things that really jumped out at me. Like, I guess a couple things. One, I like when people post kind of the details of how they work. I just, in general, mm, think it's yes. kind of interesting. Now, having said that, the the first thing that ju- jumped out at me was that basically. You know, you're supposed to do this at the end of the week and you're supposed to have all your updates in by Sunday afternoon. So like, I guess it is what it is. It sends definitely sends like a cultural message out. And I have to just be honest, like the idea of like writing just in general status updates is not enjoyable to me. But then having to do it every Sunday afternoon would just be, I don't know. It's a pretty miserable existence in my opinion. So that maybe that's just my thing. I guess so, it's okay. th- that's true. We we could um, we could change that and just say like it's due Friday at 3 p.m. Right. But I don't anything. think but I think this is the part I guess I would go further with was like yeah. I I think they've automated getting the status in. But like my question would be on this whole thing is uh, yeah. like why do we have to do written status updates at all? And I think because the thing that I thought was really interesting about it was it was sort of like the phrase that in her uh, memo, I guess, uses like key ships. What are your key ships this week? And I guess, you know, I like to flip that around and be like, you know, as a large company and a, certainly an organization like this, it's like, I think that stuff should be well known ahead of time. And if it isn't, like if I'm just telling you right now that we, like if I'm the VP of engineering or product or marketing and I'm like, well, the key ship this week was XYZ. 
Like, I think you should already know about it, especially if we spent time doing our OKRs and we have a plan, right? That, you know, things about like, you know, if we think about it to kind of our reporting thing, it's not that different from company to company. It's like product's going to have a roadmap and a set of deliverables to deliver, you know, updates to the product. Marketing's going to have a set of campaigns and campaigns driving different activities, right? Sales is a very, we just went over it. An entire product de- devoted to Salesforce to showing the status of Salesforce and updates around that. So the fact that like the COO in this case was like, we need you to sit down and write that all down, right? We want you to like, I want you to summarize that versus could you not like all of those things map very well to dashboards and because they're GitHub, it seems like they would match very well to like GitHub projects. Like if everything that you care about um, you should be thinking about ahead of time. You should probably have some type of dashboard or in this case, GitHub projects. And it should almost just be self-documenting as the team kind of using the scrum metaphor as tasks get completed and status gets updated. The team, because they're using it to monitor themselves, are updating those dashboards. And so it kind of gets to the point of like, why do we have to have all this status stuff anyway? And it's sort of like, and I think she had some acronym for the executive leadership team in there. I can't remember. You know, we hear a lot of these like E staff, S team. I think theirs was something with O's in it. Um, and it's always like, how does the company view that group of people? Like, are they a customer where data needs to be fed? Or are they an active group of people involved in the day to day that have thought about what they need to see and how they're going to monitor it without having to talk to everyone, right? Without having to look at these status updates. So that was my biggest thing. It was like, it just feels like there's a ton of automation. Uh, to to kind of do there. And then finally, it kind of gets into this whole idea about, you know, it depends on like what kind of culture you're in. Are you in a high trust culture or a low uh, trust culture? But like anytime there's like the opportunity where everyone has to answer the same set of prompts, I think there's going to be pressure for everyone to write. It's almost like an essay test you get in high school. It's like, I can't leave this blank. I got to write down a few sentences no matter what. Even if I don't know anything, I got to like put some kind of prose down to show that I care about this question. Uh, and I feel like a lot of times, and in, in, uh, especially in offices and works, like you just may, like there may not be anything interesting to say to the whole group at that point. And then you're just kind of writing to write, right? And it's like, are you in a culture where you can just say, it's like, yeah, everything's, you know, current course and speed. I don't have any updates from last week. It just feels like, that's not going to be well received or you're not going to feel very comfortable writing that. So then you end up with like lots of people writing stuff and saying stuff that maybe they wouldn't even bother with in a different culture. So I know those are things that jumped out at me, Matt, what do you think? Uh, well, yeah, the, <clears throat> my current organization, I'm on a pretty small team. It's a Google doc, uh, copy paste last week, update the, the fields, add a few sentences, pretty much, a lot of the things you said are, are applicable. Uh, you know, you, you feel like, well, I definitely need to put something here to make it look like something's changed. But, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I, it doesn't really bother me because I know, like, my boss is getting asked questions about, you know, at the next level up, like, hey, what's everybody doing? And he needs to be able to have just some shorthand. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, I'm glad there's not more process to it, but also... When we to hear you describe, you know, a lot of people's work at it, I'm like, oh my god, this is the sort of toil that you know Chat GPT is good at. Is you just, <laughs> it's just like, okay, here are the things I do. Can you just fill out the next eight weeks of of you know of uh, work and make every week sound slightly different and fill out the this template and right. you know. But I think I like you, know. I mean, I think what you're kind of getting at, and I think this is the part that really jumps out at me is like, yeah, like you're going to like, maybe you will put it through chat GPT. Like you write a few billets and then you want it to sound good and things like that. And then it's just like, but like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to pick on any one thing, but like, I just think like, we know you're running an open source project. Like we know, like we, you know, I could sit down with you and you probably have your own metrics and things that you're monitoring yourself. And it's like, that just seems like where the meaningful work would be like, Hey, let's figure out what we, we all want to know about this going forward. And then let's just look at this. And then it's like, yeah, I don't need to go ask, Matt. I need to go look at this and see what's happening. Now, I may come and ask you, Matt, be like, hey, this is good. looks like this is we're ahead of schedule. Just whatever. Pick whatever you want. We're ahead of schedule. We're behind schedule. Or like the revenue number, that's always going to be a conversation. We're above plan. We're below plan. Then we're going to have a meaningful conversation about like why things are either are or are not going well. And that seems like useful. The fact that you have to write all of this down. And I just think that's like, to me, like to me, leadership is really like, I've thought through the things that I want to know about this business and if it's performing well. And I found a way to instrument it, just like coding, just like all the things we talk about. Like I will implement the log monitoring along the way in the application Mm. so that when something goes wrong, 
I can go see it and see what happens, right? And I don't think running a company is that different or a coaching player metaphor. Like nobody goes to like a basketball player in the NBA playoffs and is like, tell me what you did last week. Like the coach isn't like, they're like, no, they go look. They're like, well, we watch the game tape. I have a lot of statistics. I see if we won or lost or using a different metaphor, like, an orchestra and somebody who plays an instrument. You're not like, hey, tell me what you do, violin player. Like, I know what you do. I can either hear you're playing well or you're not playing well or something like that. And it's like, I just think like when executives and people kind of push this out, they're sort of like pushing out responsibility, right? Like you need to think about what you need to see to run the business. And if you haven't done that, don't like just push out a lot of status updates. You're really, if you will, ab- kind of just giving up on a lot of your responsibilities. Maybe that's too strong, Kote. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, I think I think what well, to 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 rephrase a little bit like what you were saying there is I guess if you're management and executives, at some point you do have to like go to the staff and be like, Hey, here's what I need you to tell me so that I can do my job. Right? Like I I, I need this information about what's going on because to do whatever my job might be, whether it's like, you know, investigating things that aren't going well making decisions about stuff, deciding like new strategic directions, whatever it may be, like management does all sorts of things. And uh, so, you know, in that way, it, it like, you know, you're, you, you, people are weird about like status meetings and, and, you know, bubbling status up, but maybe, maybe if managers are more like, Hey, you know, I got a job to do. And if I don't have these inputs, like I, I can't do the job. So, could you give me the inputs? Right. Like it's a little bit of like, I think what you're going, that's the the next part of where we go. It's like, let's do that at the beginning. Like for example, you know what I'm saying? Like HR is like, I need to see every week, like how many people are we hiring? What's the candidate pipeline? And and then HR should be like, Hey, I'm going to build it. Here's a dashboard. You can look at it all day long. Anytime you want. So this, that's exactly the second thing I was going to get to is it's, and, and this connects together everything we've been talking about is there's a certain thought exercise you could go through in these big companies and be like, what if, we froze dashboard development and, re- and, and report development as it is now. And we forced ourselves to use all those dashboards and reports for the next three months. And like, we actually like, you know, we have all these dashboards. So like whatever OKR monitoring tool we have or management tool, there's a bunch of them. Like, does anyone ever actually log in to the dashboard and look at it? Or like, do you only get that Brandon style cut, cut it and paste into a PowerPoint that you look at? And like, I guess you wouldn't even have to do it. Like, I mean, this would be impossible to get, but in theory, you could just see if you could do like, um, use your Google analytics or the equivalent and see if people actually look at the dashboard and who's looking at it. And like, so it would kind of suss out, like everything has a dashboard and everything can generate reports. And like, why aren't we just using those? And if we're not using them, then maybe we should make a dashboard that we want to use or something like that. But like you're saying, you know, you want to like, you need to instrument the organization and, uh, but you know, the, it may not be the most efficient, but it always seems like the easiest, often quickest way is just to like, get all the, the meatware people to just like type stuff up. Right. And then as you were talking about earlier, the problem becomes consuming all that information. Right. It's, it doesn't like that's hard. Well, I think it's work. consuming. And I also think it just ends up like it's an exercise in you editing because it's back to like, hey, you, yeah. no one's going to go to the meeting and be like, I don't have any key ships for the week. Like you just don't like, are you going to feel bad about it? <laughs> You're going to come up with around? something. Because normally the way, you know, uh, all of us have been a million of these executive meetings, but like, you know, normally what is a like people go around and be like, okay, Kote, you know, give me an update. And it's like, you're not like, you're going to feel compelled to talk for five or 10 minutes. Right. And you're going to feel compelled to like, it's just natural to be like, things are going well. I have command of what's going on. Like, you know, and it's just like, but if I just was asking you like in the hallway, you'd be like, yeah, things are fine. Like, you know what I mean? You wouldn't waste the time, but it's like, no, we're having a meeting. Uh, yeah. Hiring's going great. Like you, the, every update is the same. It's always like X is going great. You sandwich in a tiny bit of friction, right? I'd be like, well, this one thing could be a little bit better. And then you end on a high note, like, but you know what we're doing? We're working on that thing I just mentioned. And we're about to fix that. Versus like, you know, then you go out to lunch and you're like, shit, man, things are going bad. I don't know what the hell we're going to do. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, I just talked to so-and-so in engineering and like, they have no idea how they're going to fix that bug. Right. I mean, or the real or whatever, or the sales thing is like, yeah, no, we just got back from that sales meeting. It's like, I don't think they're going to buy. I don't know what I'm going to put in Salesforce. Right. You know, like all those conversations are pushed to the side and it's sort of like the status update, I think prevents it all. So 
I'd like to see like, you know, more because again, like if you really wanted to have that information, have the dashboards and then go have the one-on-one be like, Hey, looks like we're not doing well on this year, on this uh, quarter's revenue, what's really going on and have a one-on-one where the the person has a chance to kind of level with you, right? In the big executive boardroom, no one wants to have the spotlight. No one wants to be like, oh man, the sales is going, you know, you're going to work, work not to have that kind of spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, I think maybe the final thing here is, uh, I'm, I'm always also a big believer in like, uh, any template that you have that people actually use is probably better than the whole bunch of nothing that you're currently doing. Right. Like there, there's, this is probably, there's probably some, uh, whatever thinking fast, thinking slow thing that sort of like, uh, whenever people apply a new tool or idea, and they see a huge improvement. Oftentimes, it's because they were doing nothing before. Yeah, and so to Erica, doing something you know, an improvement. And to Erica's credit here, like she put it out there, right? Like, here's what we do. Yeah, here's how we great. do it. Like, like it, don't like it. You know, I've had obviously we've had a whole discussion about it, and it's like that is a lot more meaningful than just being like, oh, we just you know some abstract statement. You know, when I was the GitHub uh, COO, everything just ran great, and it was great, and we were super efficient. Like, oh no, this is actually kind of interesting to see. And like to your point, like I don't know what I would love to know going forward is like I know she's left there. It'd be interesting to see now that she's gone. Like, what did they change, if anything, right? Because that would be kind of interesting, right? Because that would kind of give you an indication of like either what wasn't working or what people wanted to change. So I don't know. I I sort of I want to see more of this stuff because I just like to, you know I just want to learn and it's it is kind of interesting to see how other people do it. Yeah, it's the actual uh, tools being used, not just the uh, the benefits and the outcomes uh, that 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 are achieved. Well, there's a few more items that we didn't go over, but if you want to see, uh, you want to click around on those, read them, try them out. See, see how the, what the mouthfeel is as you roll it around, stare at it in, in the, uh, you know, that someone might've bought you, a, brought you a big bottle of wine at your hotel room. And you're like, what do I do with this? So you could hold it up to the light. Like, uh, that, what was that movie? American treasure with Nicolas Cage. You could use it as a magnifying <laughs> glass, uh, for, for things. Uh, you could go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash four one seven and, uh, peruse all of those other links and, and those, uh, those things out there. Do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? Well, if you would like a sticker, as always, just email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I'll be happy to send you uh, stickers anywhere in the world. And just one thing from the nonsense, uh, HP, HP uh, looking to become uh, a legacy comp uh, sponsor of some kind. And I think I want them to give away this uh, 40-year-old calculator again. So I don't know if everyone saw this calculator in their youth. Maybe your parent had it, but it's sort of like, I don't know, the financial calculator um, that I remember that like was everywhere like every mm-hmm. i want to say everyone's parent but like maybe i'm just too old maybe it's like maybe it's your grandparent which will make me feel even worse so i just thought it was funny so yeah so not only that it's just funny it's 120 dollars. it's like well yeah you know get yourself a used ipad or a 40 year old calculator whatever you want so uh yeah. it's good though it was nice so good job hp for uh keeping that thing around at least in some format i'm i appreciate that i, w- I wonder if it actually like cost them you know like 20 20- or $50 to make it such that they need to charge $120 per unit or something like what it's got to be something you can just like stamp out. Like, I don't know. Can't you like 3d print that or something? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They probably had to like wake up some like very old uh, manufacturing arm in some like fab somewhere. And they're like, Oh, we haven't, we haven't used this in like 30 Uh, years. There needs to be a teardown. I I bet it's all new. I bet it's all new insides and it costs like less than five. Nothing. It's like on a chip that costs like 25 cents. Oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. full of iPhones. Yeah. That's, I like it though. It's fun to see. Well, yeah. yeah. Somebody in the comments just said it's probably got a pie inside. If it was a Raspberry Pi, it cost like $200. That's true. Those are <laughs> hard to get. That's what we found, right? I sold one the other day and I was like, wow, those are really? hard to get still. Huh. Well, there's several conferences coming up tomorrow if you're watching the live stream and you happen to be in Brussels. I'm going to be giving a uh, the the opening keynote at the the VMware User Group uh, Brussels. It's free to attend, so you know you should come if you hear it. And uh, also, there's a platform con is next week. There's a whole lots of presentations. There was a good uh, if you're interested in that over on the Cloudcast. There was an interview with uh, with one of the people there where they talk about that. It's especially if you're in the uh, if you're in the business, as it were. Uh, the tech business of marketing and stuff. There's a good part at the end where uh, Brian asked, I think it was Luca who was on there. He asked him just to kind of go over the ins and outs of doing it. And there's, there's some interesting commentary on uh, doing conferences and 
uh, th- things to uh, to work on there. Also, uh, DevOps Days Amsterdam is June twenty second and twenty third. There's FinOps X in San Diego. What does the X stand for, Matt Ray? Uh that's a good question. Experience. <laughs> well, it's both experience. Uh, l- l- get- let's. It's a multiplier. Or extreme. It's usually either there you go. extreme or experience, whichever one you want you, to say. You could find out June 27th to 30th in San Diego. What does the X in FinOps X mean? Uh, we'll be there as well. There's also August 8th, Kubernetes Community Day in Australia. I think Matt Ray will be there. Maybe he'll uh, he'll bring you some directions to the 24-hour pharmacy in case you need any anything. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and then August 21st and 24th is going to be Spring One and uh, VMware Explorer, which is, uh, that's pretty soon. Someone just reminded me that's like almost, that's about two months into the future, which is crazy. That's, uh, the fall is almost here. The summer is going to be short. And then it's uh, mosquitoes everywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, what do you have to recommend this week, Brandon? Uh, my recommendation is more of a follow-up this week. So I would just like, again, for the five people that listen to this podcast and also watch the NFL. So I complained, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe relentlessly, maybe not, but that YouTube was uh, going to limit the number of NFL Sunday ticket streams. So I said, hey, warning, don't, you know, if you buy it, know it. But they have come to their senses. I feel like this is the one place I could really help you to just call me with the ideas before you, you launch them. But they have come to their senses. They are now going to allow unlimited simultaneous streams at the NFL Sunday ticket from your designated home location. So I'm happy, glad they're doing it. I guess like uh, all good product marketing, just uh, announce a bad decision and then uh, let everyone get mad and then take it back. And then everyone's happy and you know, you get some goodwill. So I I guess I'll take it. I will say YouTube TV. It's like, I've been back and forth. This was going to be real disappointing, but like I, the conversion, I would say so far it's worked out pretty well and I'm hopeful that they've not only with the unlimited Sunday uh, ticket streams, uh, that it's all going to work really well in the fall. So uh, YouTube, thank you for uh, applying common sense to your decisions. I appreciate it. So I, I noticed in that re- reading of it, I, I guess that's only for individuals at their homes to use, right? Is there, is there a whole parallel universe that like bars and restaurants buy from if they want yeah to so if you want to get into the, the whole detail so what uh the nfl did was and probably rightfully so they um the bars and restaurants are probably are not ready to go uh, to a streaming service so they withheld the commercial rights as they call them bars and restaurants mm. and they're going to still be served through the old school traditional direct tv way of doing it right i see and then uh youtube which seems fair this seems fair is that they are going to limit you to like two streams out outside your house. So it's kind of weird. It's sort of like a, it's like a cable artifact, right? Like we could watch all the TV if we're at like a certain place that we designate our home, which I guess I'm used to. So I don't necessarily reject it. And then you're limited when you go outside your house. But of course, if we were designing the system from the ground up, we'd be like, does it matter? Like you're just on the internet somewhere. Right. But, uh, yeah, but it is what it is. You know, the, the United States, I don't know if this applies. I don't know if you guys are having the same crazy, you know, Cut, cord cutting cable bundle madness that exists within the US is like everything gets rebundled and then bundled again. And, you know, it's all going to be confusing for the next five years. And we'll probably end up close to where we went before, but now we'll at least have uh, streaming boxes instead of cable boxes. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, sound, sounds delightful. Well, uh, you know, and also the geofencing, that might be problematic if you have like a big ranch, right? Like, you know, I just, <laughs> I just ran that Ethernet out to the back 40. And now it uh, thinks I'm not at home, so I can't watch all the games. You know, it's funny though, Cote. I know you didn't mean it, but like if you ran Ethernet, you're probably fine because it's all going to look like one IP address and you're not going to let have you win. Yes. Okay. Wi Fi extended or a G located something on your, then you'd probably have to be like, hmm, just how big is the homestead when the location monitoring hits? And you're probably on satellite out on your ranch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're screwed then. You don't get your, you know, because that's the people that got screwed. If you're, uh, on a ranch, yeah. you don't have internet, and you like the NFL. They just took it all away from you. They're like, mm, nope, yeah. you don't get it. Cowboys and Broncos. You don't. You just get. You just get regular over the air. And I do think it's funny. After all of this, is like over the air uh, television becomes more and more uh, in vogue, right? As like more and more things go to streaming, you're like, oh, I want to watch this in real time with really high quality. What's the best way to do it? Turns out, the antenna. Probably the antenna is the best way to do it. Right this second. Yeah. Well, how about yourself, Matt Ray? When you're uh... Installing that antenna on the roof of your house and, and you need a break. What, what, what's something you would recommend to people? Uh, I've been listening to uh, 
not new music lately. Um, and uh, one of the things I've noticed on Spotify is all the like remastered 20th anniversary album versions are, are always on there. So uh, if there's something you're listening to from back in the day, uh, they probably have like, you know, the remastered, the special extra edition with all the remixes. Uh, you know, a couple examples were uh, Cure's Disintegration. They've got the deluxe edition and uh, Underworld's second toughest in the infants. Uh, they've got a five CD edition. So uh, make sure you'll have plenty to listen to when you're working on your roof or, you know, wiring cable or whatever. <laughs> to the back 40. To the back yeah. 40. Well, well, my recommendation also from the YouTube world. Uh, I, I forget where I came across this. I think it was that waxy.org guy. But there's uh, there's this YouTube channel where there's this Irish guy named Bobby Fingers, and he's like somewhat anonymous. But he basically there's three videos, and he builds very intricate, realistic looking diagrams uh, of the following. He has uh, a diagram of the time that Steven Seagal was beaten in a fight with a stuntman and allegedly pooped his pants, and then he has a, a diagram of Mel Gibson being pulled over for a DUI driving and lecturing a cop. And then, and then the best one so far is he's got a diagram of when Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire during the Pepsi commercial. <laughs> and like, they're each like maybe 20, 15 minutes. And it's, it's like extremely high quality. Like, and it's just amazing to watch this, this person uh, make these, but what makes them especially like, I would not be interested in that, but he's got a great narration. And uh, I think as it was originally described on, on the site that I found it, just as the video goes on, he gets slightly and slightly more unhinged and just weird and uh, makes all sorts of side notes. And so it, it's got a good, uh, it's not just like, so I took the clay and did this, but he like tells you stories about his life and weird things and like all sorts of stuff. I, if you only watch one, the Michael Jackson one is definitely the best. All right. I'll start there. <laughs> it's uh, I, I might even go, we watch, watch it like a third time. After oh this. my gosh. There's, there's a lot going for it. And then, and then the kicker is at the end, he, uh, he buries them and hidden in the video somewhere, are the GPS locations, and you can go get them for yourself, <laughs> but they're very well made. I so, like it. uh, speaking of getting things for yourself, you've just gotten yourself another fine episode of software defined talk. If you want to subscribe to this and you're not already, thanks for listening this far. Just search around for software defined talk and however you do your podcast stuff. Uh, you might want to put that in your status meeting. Uh, tell some of your staff, find the software defined talk and subscribe me to it. Uh, so I can uh, do it on the ethernet with my multiple channels or whatever. <laughs> uh, but if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find out uh, how to watch us live stream it. You should join the Slack channel. We've got all sorts of great conversations going there all the time. And uh, you know, that's the show. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Cote's live from an undisclosed uh, hotel somewhere. Um, but more importantly, he That's revealed uh, his setup, which we'll, I don't know. Somehow we'll put it, uh, we'll like put it in the show and maybe the after show or something. We'll uh, yeah. I'll include a picture of uh, what has become, um, I guess it's the ironing board setup, right? Like every, that's kind of your go-to. Oh, Cote, like yeah. describe your, uh, your process for remote recording for the, the streamers. Well, well, first of all, to clarify, I'm, I'm using the patented software defined top talk casual setup where i i actually i don't have here I'll, i now that i'm not using my not, fancy not camera, so bad. does that imply we have a formal setup because we're in real no. trouble let's well, so, see I, right here i've just got uh, i'll take a picture of myself and i'll use my uh my scrappy william gibson uh you know street finds its own usage technique like see here, I'm just sitting at a desk. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Now you're just and, like, and okay, so now you're back to very relaxed. Now, but however, got, like, travel lighting. That's impressive. Oh, well, yeah, that's called a desk lamp, but yes. But I I had a stream to record with uh the 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 GM of my group for for Nima, and uh it was fun. And and for that, I had to engineer something different. And so let me let me show you do the wide the wide version of it. Yes, the ironing boards uh, Ironing boards are always an indispensable part of remote recording. So here, you can see what I've done is I have a couch. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I needed, what, what I needed to do is I needed to get the camera right above, the, the, the camera and the mic right above my, uh, my monitor, right? 
because I'm 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 moderating a, a discussion, so I got to know questions to ask, and like you know, people are texting you and stuff. Uh, so I need to have the microphone above that, but it wasn't working out with the the ice bucket that I was using and the plant pot that I liberated a plant from and turned upside down. And then I realized I was, <laughs> I, was went the, plant. I went to the bathroom and I was like, "There's an ironing board here." Now the thing about an ironing board is it has variable height, right? Absolutely, and it has that overhang, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. so it's perfect for like a DIY mic stand. You can just, you know, you can bring it right over here and do that. And uh, it was Welcome great. MacGyver of podcasting. I think it sounded great. Well, listen, for everybody who's hearing this in uh, the podcast, look at the show notes. Or even if not, because uh, there are multiple photos, maybe go to the Instagram account. And you can see behind the scenes. I do think that you've discovered something. I think that's the best practice now. I think the ironing board, because the way you had it, you were showing me earlier, you did have it like collapsing. It sort of, it did have like, it had basically the perfect height for your yeah, because you can adjust the microphone as well as uh-huh. your camera. So I was like, ah, yeah, you know, that's not a bad and most. I'm going to say, well, I'd be corrected here, but I, I'm about to say most hotel rooms have ironing boards, but I don't know. Actually, yeah. sometimes they high end ones don't. Right. Because they want you to send you down for that thirty dollar yeah. uh, laundered shirt. Isn't that, that, that so? I don't know. I guess it depends on where you're staying. Oh, also, also, I, like uh, uh, before we start recording, I was thinking uh, I need to give a renaissance update. Because I'm staying at a Renaissance, and you know I have my theories. No swan. I think first of all, there's well, there's kind of an atrium in this Renaissance, but not in American style. So I'm I'm gonna give it to it. Uh, definitely no swans, but I think it is. It is kind of run down like an American Renaissance, but I feel like the Belgians have been keeping it in better shape, and <laughs> and also. And also they did, uh, I think I said this before the, the, the podcast, someone came to my room after I checked in and brought me a bowl of fruit and this giant bottle of wine. 